Welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige Geidel, and I am so stoked that you found us. We are a community of creative Christian women in their 20s, and you are invited to be a part of it. Each week, I invite a guest on the show to chat about all things marriage, motherhood, homemaking, small business, and following Jesus. My friend, there is a seat here for you at the table, and I so hope that you choose to be a part of this community. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige, and today's interview is with my sister-in-law, Ashley Geidel. In case you didn't kind of like put two and two together, she's my sister-in-law, and I'm so happy that she finally came on the show. Ash is such a cool person. I am so grateful she is my sister-in-law. I'm an only child, and so whenever I got married, I was just so excited to have siblings and her friendship and I guess family-ship. Her being in my family has been such a huge blessing to me and I just really love the conversations that we get to have whenever we get together and so I'm stoked that she finally gets to come on because she has so much wisdom to share and so many cool things that she has been a part of. So today we are talking about her journey with foster care. They just adopted their daughter Hazley last fall after fostering her for a while and so she kind of walks through the beginnings of that journey and that process and then she also talks about coffee and she is the coolest. She helped start a coffee shop or open a coffee shop with my brother-in-law a couple years ago right after they graduated college and then she managed that for a while and now she actually roasts for them and for several other coffee shops around their area And so if you love coffee, you will absolutely love this episode. Can't wait for you guys to listen. Let's dive on in. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. I can't believe I'm probably the most reluctant visitor you have. It's the, I should be the the easiest, the least prestigious in any way, but I've been stubborn. So thanks for sticking with me. I know I to this point <laughs> I'm so glad that I like bugged you enough for you to say yes <laughs> <laughs> I need that I need that in my life um with certain things so I, I'm yeah. thankful for it no I get it um well it's kind of funny usually I like to start off every episode by sharing how I got connected with someone and I feel like most of the time the answer is like Instagram and sometimes it's like I know them from another area of my life. Obviously, if people see the last name, they could probably assume that we're family, which we are. You're my sister-in-law. Yes. And you are married to my husband's younger brother, which I didn't prepare you for this at all, but could you share really fast, like a brief, how you and David came to be? Because I think that story is really funny. (laughs) Yeah, I guess – I feel like I tell the story a little bit different every time. So I'm curious which um, version of it you heard. But basically, what I when I think of it most of the time, it's my, my roommates wanted to set me up with someone so bad because I hadn't really dated um, very much in college around that time. So they were saying, you know, who's someone? Like, who would you be compatible with? All this stuff. And I, I just remember saying, 
I knew of David at the time and I didn't actually know him. And I was like, oh, someone like David, David Geidel, but not David Geidel, but like, you know, someone like him. <laughs> and I think I just said that because he was a little bit younger than me and I never pictured myself <laughs> uh, going with a younger classman or something like that. And then a year or two later is when he kind of started asking me to like play sand volleyball and all this stuff. And I just thought, Oh, he's just social. So he's just asking everyone and I don't want to play sand volleyball. So no, no, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I eventually got the hint and we started hanging out and I was really excited about it. And I was like, why am I so excited about it? But it was a hint. I was That's so fun. Cause I don't think I've heard that version, Ashley. The version I remember is you posting something on your Snapchat stories. Was it Snapchat? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. that is also true. Okay, so that was kind of the te- the test when I was getting all these <laughs> messages about sand volleyball and whatever. I was like, I don't know, maybe we'll see. So I I put on my Snapchat story something about needing help with um, transferring pictures from my phone to my laptop, and normally something I can do, but for some reason I was having issues with it. And he replied like, I can help you or whatever. And a couple other people did. And they actually answered before, but then I turned all those people down. I was like, was always someone already (laughs) offered. So then, uh, David and I hung, that was the first time we like hung out and he didn't help me at all. We'll just say that he talked to me the whole time. So it's like, I'm on to you. That's so funny. It was confirmed. I just think all those like fun things about like when you're first dating your spouse, I love talking about that. When you're not talking about like, have you changed her yet? When was the last time she ate? I don't know. That's fun in a different way, but it's fun to like reminisce on how it started, you know? Yeah. Those questions are so good when it it reminds you of those times because otherwise – yeah, you're just in this, like you said, mindset of, have you done this? Have you done this? Yeah, just like With in the thick of it. Yeah, totally. Well, I am so excited to be talking with you on here today because I genuinely think you are one of the coolest people I know, and you are so like chill and humble about it. You'll probably be like, whatever, but I just think you have expertise in so many areas and passions in so many areas that a lot of our listeners will be really excited to hear about. So before we dive into some of the main questions, can you give us a brief overview of who you are, what you do, and where you live? Yeah. So David and I, we live in Seward, Nebraska. And we have two little girls, uh, Hazley, and she is two and a half almost, and um, Ruby, who's just turned seven months. And I've been in Nebraska all my life. I, after I graduated from Concordia, which is where David and I met here in Seward, um, I was a teacher for a year because I got a middle level art and Spanish education degree. And after a year of that, ended up getting involved with a coffee shop uh, here in town, Neutral Grounds, and moved here to uh, help out with that and manage for a while. And yeah, so here we are. I am mostly staying at home with the girls, but I do work. I still do work there probably five hours a week roasting and 
working with the operations on that. Amazing. I know that a lot of listeners are like obsessed with coffee as I feel like most millennials slash moms, I guess when you like combine the two of those things, like moms of young kids, it's just like love coffee. How many cups have you had today? Because I think I had... This is... You were asking me on the worst day possible, this question. Oh no, am I exposing you? (laughs) You are. (laughs) Okay, so... I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess four. Okay, shooting high, so then that makes you feel better. Okay. This is my third. Nice. Right. Oh, I exposed myself by more by saying this is... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because it's literally... 8 30 p.m <laughs> although uh, do you think Anne, our mother-in-law drinks more than us how are right. we exactly so i don't know we'll what just... she drinks now but i feel like john maybe he's exaggerating but he always said she would make a pot for herself in the morning right <laughs> i could get into that mindset i i actually don't have coffee every day though what i i do love it um i think i have it enough that I'm not always strongly impacted by the caffeine. Like I don't feel addicted to caffeine, I don't think. Yeah. So it's just more like a ritualistic type thing where if I have a moment, it's like, oh, I could have my coffee with it. I don't totally. know if that makes sense. But No, I get that. I was feeling kind of tired and mopey before this podcast. And so my husband told me, you'll you'll feel more fun if you drink a cup of coffee. So I'm doing that and I have my list of projects ready for after this if I'm wired out the rest of the night. Yeah. He's not wrong. I feel like coffee's just like it's so good. It's such a nice reward. That's something I've been like leaning into is trying to have a cup with lunch in the afternoon, especially mm-hmm. if both girls are down. Oh my gosh. I enjoy it. But most of the time I like chug it. I don't know. I'm either like a sip one cup for like multiple hours or just like slam it. There's yes. no in between. <laughs> that, yep, same. So we're actually going to be talking a lot about coffee because as you said, you helped uh, – you were a part of Neutral Grounds in the managing side and now you roast and I just can't wait to dive into your story because I think it's so cool. So I know you didn't like start Neutral Grounds, but could you just kind of share – the story of how Neutral Grounds came to be and your involvement in that? Yeah. So before Neutral Grounds was a coffee shop, uh, we opened up four years ago, but it was a space a long time before that, kind of for college students just to do open mic nights, uh, worship nights, different activities, parties, whatever, by a, um, a ministry group here in town. And there's a lot that kind of goes into it, but I'll kind of just share from my side of the involvement because there's a lot of people involved. But I was doing a Bible study with a friend um, the summer before we opened, and it was we were we were trying to start it up and nobody showed up, so we ended up just eating snacks and chatting the rest of the time. And she mentioned one of our mutual friends having another friend who. Um, really wanted to basically redo this ministry space and had just approached the ministry team, basically asking for permission if she could turn it into something, but wasn't sure what yet. 
and it was really cool timing just how the spirit was leading because that ministry group had been in prayer also about kind of a change and a lot of them were nearing like retirement age and wanting some other people to take over and so they had passed it along to her and it had kind of been their baby for years and years so it was kind of it was a good thing God had been working on their hearts too maybe it's time for a transition and Eva came at the right time I want to say it was even that week or day or something kind of crazy like that and she was kind of doing this whole thing herself she had left the college she was going to she hadn't finished her major yet was just feeling called to come back to Seward and she I don't think I actually knew that part that she had okay. just left wow yeah so, so cool. it was she was just feeling like I need to come back without a full plan and she's very um, adventurous spirit. So it was kind of a sacrifice for her to come back to Seward and just feeling like I wanted to get away from this hometown. But uh, thankfully, she listened and took that step of faith. And uh, a lot of us didn't know her at the time, but we kind of got to know her through different ways. And uh, my husband was a business student. I was always kind of interested in um, businesses, mission, coffee shop, ministry, and same with one of my good friends from college. And so we just said, told her, hey, if you ever want to, you know, talk with us or we can help you with projects or whatever, just let us know. Just kind of excited about that. And so we ended up all meeting together one night. There uh, was nine of us and we didn't all know each other, but we just sat around a circle and basically said our names and what we're somewhat good at. And we got to the end and uh, she was like, you know, we're going to start a coffee shop together. And we're like, oh, oh wait, wait, we're actually starting it with you? Okay, we thought you just kind of wanted some friends to talk to about this whole thing. Uh, so that was pretty, wow. pretty cool. Uh, we all just right away jumped on board and the next morning had a prayer meeting bright and early before school and everything and just started it off, you know, giving it to the Lord and just asking him to lead us a bunch of college students and recent graduates who didn't really know anything about running a business or a coffee shop, practically speaking. That is so cool because I feel like so many people, myself included, have thought about how awesome it would be to like run a coffee shop, but to be like you said college students and recent grads like navigating like, I don't know, tax certificates and you have to have yeah. things like up to a certain standard with like the health board. I, I Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just know like having restaurants and all that, it's way more than like ordering the $8,000 La Marzocco mm -hmm. espresso machine, you know? That's so yeah. – so cool. Um, That's so how? Exactly right. Like we had moments. Sorry, I just interrupted you there. No, you're we good. We had um, some moments like that where someone would say something like, "Oh, we need to get in contact with this person or from, I don't know, the county or whatever." And it, it you'd be one of the person saying it would be like, "I don't even know how I just thought of that. Like, I don't even like I don't know what to do." And so it just kind of felt spirit led at moments with that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can't even imagine trying to like, you don't know what you don't know. I feel like in the, the beginning stages of those things and like learning with that. Um, 
So you guys like had this meeting, like you said, she basically invited you guys to help her start it. What was the timeline then from then to like doors opening, you guys are functioning as neutral grounds? Right. So she had been working on certain things like there was a carpet and then a few layers of glue and then the wooden floors underneath. And she had been kind of working on that all summer trying to, um, yeah, just restore the floor. And then she did other things too. So her timeline's a little longer, but that actual meeting was maybe November sometime that fall. And then we opened in February. No way. I didn't realize it was like that quick of a turnaround too. Yeah, it was. And some of it was kind of a soft opening, you know, it, it, neutral grounds is very just evolving all the time. (laughs) Like there's always things changing in there. And especially that first year, it was like, we really had the basics and just kind of added as we could. And did you and Dave get married like the month after or was that like a full year? Yeah, we got married the month after. So that was, that's kind of a fun year um, for us because we started Neutral Grounds. We got married. um, We both kind of started our careers, I guess. David um, started his official job. He graduated and I switched from teaching to um, managing neutral grounds. So we always know, okay, it's been four years because neutral grounds makes a big deal of their birthday every year and does some fun, some fun things, some birthday drinks, some activities. So mm. I walked in um, at the start of this month and a big four balloon up there. I was like, okay, it's my fourth anniversary. It's <laughs> David's fourth year at the department, all these things. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't realize all those things like lined up. At the yeah. same time. I guess when we bought our house too. So it's just everything. Big all the year. Things. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously like you were a college student and I don't have to question like why you love coffee, but I guess where did like your interest in coffee come from originally? Yeah. My my parents, probably especially my mom, both were just liked coffee, were into coffee. They bought coffee from our roaster in Lincoln. So I was just kind of around good coffee, I would say. And my mom reminded me how we always wanted to steal her coffee. So they finally gave in and said, on Fridays, you can have coffee. Oh my gosh. And look at Hazley now. Exactly. Hazley is doing the exact same thing, stealing she... my coffee whenever I'm not looking. And That is so funny. And when my mom reminded me that, I will admit, we gave in the other night. We gave her some decaf. We're like, fine, you can just have this little sippy cup. Like, or very small, but she was so happy. She was like, finally ever asking for this. That is so funny. That's so cool how your parents have been into that, like, for a long time. I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just, like, my own world and worldview, but I I feel like people haven't necessarily valued like good, good coffee as like, I don't know, the general American public until somewhat recently. So I love that. That's something that they've always kind of been like into. Definitely. I don't even know where it it started for them. I need to ask them that. But um, it definitely wasn't normal around us because I remember on those Fridays where we were allowed coffee, I would sometimes bring it 
um, even like my senior year into history class at 8 a.m. and everyone would be looking at me like, you drink coffee as a high school student, like thinking that was so weird. And now I've these high school students, you know, doing homework in there all the time. So just totally. Yeah, I know, right? I feel like our girls will be drinking it every morning by the time they're 10 as the age just gets younger and younger. (laughs) It really does. So how long did you manage neutral grounds? And can you just share a little bit of the behind the scenes, like of just what that actually looked like for you? Yeah. Neutral grounds is just a crazy time. Like it's, it's definitely not your typical coffee shop structure or experience because it was owned by a nonprofit. We weren't a nonprofit. So some of that, I don't know, maybe won't be interesting, but I guess I'm just saying all of that just to show it's not the typical experience. Like no one, so no yeah. one should look at this and think this is how it normally goes, but totally. Um, because we did it all with money from other people, you know, that donated to it because they believed in building community. Um, there was no one recipient of, I guess, the profits or anything like that. So it was a lot of just hands on deck, especially in the beginning. Everyone just kind of jumped in where they could, which made it hard sometimes because you weren't really sure what the boundaries were or clear cut roles or things like that. But a lot of it was kind of what you, I guess, picture just making decisions for the coffee shop, a lot of paperwork things that you don't picture, a lot of, oh wait, this person machine is broken. I didn't know I had to be the mechanic too because we don't actually have money to pay this or the ice machine is broken and you know, you're not thinking about that when you're thinking about managing a coffee shop or thinking, yeah. oh, fun, like I love coffee. <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, I guess maintenance things, money things, paperwork things. Totally. And I even know like you had shared, you would be like running to the grocery store to like get more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just supplies. Cause you guys had such a killer selection of like toast and I don't know, extra like fun food items too. Yeah, so that was a learning curve too, just learning how to manage inventory and a lot of uh, yeah, supply management, I would say. Mm. Okay, this like sparked another question that I thought of. How do you feel like your experience managing neutral grounds has like equipped you in motherhood? Like have you seen any like correlations of managing things there and then now having your two girls like so close in age? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think teaching, even though it's for one year and my job before that, um, I was like a resident coordinator at Concordia. Those two, I have thought about that often, how that has prepared me for different things. I hadn't thought about that um, for neutral grounds necessarily. It's been, neutral grounds has definitely been a big like blessing to my motherhood. I would say because there was a lot I did there um, to build, I guess, community. And then um, there wasn't a lot for moms. So I built this with help from people, kind of kids, barista area. Um, and now I'm like, it's I wasn't amazing. thinking about myself <laughs> at all when I 
was working on this, but it's such a blessing to come there and do that or building the roasting. I just was excited about roasting um, and growing the business. But now it's like, that's like the perfect side job as a mom. That's just like five hours a week and it's flexible blessing to my family. So that doesn't really answer your question about how it prepared me, but it's just, I didn't realize how much that job would bless us in this stage of life. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. And you touched on something that I think is so important. Um, and it's something I've become like, I don't know, maybe it's like super niche, but like passionate about or interested in. Like neutral ground is such a unique space, which I love. I love that it's unique and I want to preserve that. And I also want to replicate it literally everywhere because it is like the one coffee shop I've ever been to where I feel truly comfortable as a mom with young kids. Hmm. And that is such a gift because I think moms like want to get out. I know, again, a lot of listeners like love going to a coffee shop and that's like a thing when you're in college or maybe when you're married without kids that like a lot of people just love doing and is restful and life-giving and just a nice way to get out of the house, especially if you live in like colder states, you know? And when you become a mom, as soon as you have maybe a baby who needs to nurse or like a toddler who's like quite loud, it just feels hard to like go back into those spaces. And I've noticed that when I try, I just like, maybe I'm wanting to feel like myself again or just like have a restful moment. And it can be really hard because a lot of coffee shop environments like do not cater or like allow that to happen, which is so interesting because obviously every business has like a different focus, I guess, but I feel like moms of young kids would be like a fantastic target audience to reach, you know? And so yeah, all that to say, I love visiting and going to neutral grounds because I feel like Flora can play and we can like fully be ourselves and it's just the best. That's so good. Yeah, it's good to hear you say that because that definitely was an intention. Um, and it's it, it's exactly what you said. It seems like a lot of the good co- quality coffee, coffee shops, those are usually the most kind of stuck up about their environment. Maybe that's not the best way to say it. I don't know. But um, you kind of see one or the other. It's like very relaxed homey with like bad coffee or really good coffee and it's all really uptight and impersonal and you feel bad for asking questions about coffee and that was kind of our one of our kind of values up front was we want to have really good coffee but we want to like teach people about coffee we want to enjoy coffee together we want to yeah I I guess it makes me think of I hit before I knew very much about coffee. I asked for a cork or a, a macchiato, <laughs> a caramel macchiato. And I remember the barista at this good coffee shop just rolling their eyes at me and goes, Ugh, do you even know what that is? And so of course I'm like, yes, I know what that is. And so he gave me the traditional one versus what you would get at Starbucks, which is of course what I was picturing at the time. And then I just had to sit there and pretend like I liked it, which I would love it now. But at the time I was like, okay. So yeah. in my mind, I always stuck in my mind, like, I'm not going to, I don't want to be like that. I want people to feel like they can ask questions and learn and just uh, make it a community. Experience. I love that. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like I joke that we're coffee snobs, but but not in the way – there's just so much like weird intense shame and pride around like how much people know about it as I know there are in like a lot of areas. But I love – you guys really have created like such a safe space for people to like learn and get excited because I think people can tell that you guys are like passionate about it and also friendly and, you know, I know that it's like a ministry and um, you just have so many like good kind people who – have been a part of it. After experiencing a challenging postpartum with Flora, I knew I wanted to do things differently the second time around. For me, this looked like daily showers, nourishing myself, and finding a good pair of jeans that I could live in. Enter Outland Denim. Outland is an ethical brand specializing in making great jeans. I personally got the Abigail jean in black and they have been such a staple for winter and my new mom body. I actually own a few pair of my mom's old jeans from the 90s and I have a feeling I'm going to be passing my Outland jeans on to my girls someday. I also love that Outland is committed to ethical sourcing and manufacturing practices because shopping ethically has become a huge conviction and passion of mine, especially as a follower of Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Go and grab your new favorite pair of jeans from Outland. Be sure to use the code PAGE10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's PAGE10 at checkout or click the link in the description. So I know you're passionate about education. Obviously, you're a teacher and you're just talking about like educating people about coffee. So could you just kind of give us like a basic introduction to someone who like is maybe similar to what the person you were just describing, like they love coffee, but they don't know much about it. I know that sounds like silly to say, especially if someone drinks it every day, but just as a roaster and from your perspective, can you explain, give us a little intro lesson? Yeah. You want me to talk more about drinks or more about roasting? Can you explain, I guess like, so if you would go to a coffee shop or even if you just like go buy grounds at the store, Mm. right? Like there's like different types of roasts like Mm -hmm. dark and light and notes and locations I mean I just asked you like three giant questions but yeah the beans itself can you explain a bit about that yeah I guess I think the main thing is people just don't like they don't think about it like they like they probably know deep down certain things like coffee is just like any other item you'd buy in the store or like any other produce, you know, there's not just one type of apple or there's not just one type of, you know, I don't know, whatever, any other produce, there's different varieties. They come from different places. And so all of that affects how it tastes. Um, So if you think about it, coffee that way, there's kind of two groups of coffee that would be like single origin, meaning all of the coffee in that bag is from the same place versus a blend, which sounds fancier. And sometimes it is if it's crafted by a roaster to create, you know, something new and blend flavor profiles, but it could also just be, oh, this was all the leftover coffee I have. I'm going to, you know, it's just a marketing name to make it sound better. Like here's a bunch of different cheap coffees and they're all different because it's just kind of using up the end of your bag and thrown together and roasted together um, unintentionally and so then you know and now it's a blend but um wild oh my gosh I didn't know that 
and then you can buy it obviously ground or not ground and it's kind of like any other pantry item too where you know it's gonna it, it, it's shelf stable but it's gonna be fresher the sooner you can have it it's gonna have it just there's kind of a ticking I guess clock of eventually it will go stale and not be as good um, there's certain things like coffee is the best for um, like drip drinking coffee like three to five days after it's roasted not exactly not the very first day but after that and then it's a couple weeks where it's like at its peak and for espresso though you want to wait 10 days after roasting and that's kind of the peak too so obviously if you can buy coffee from a roaster local that's going to be your best bet because the stuff in the grocery store definitely is past that that time of being roasted yeah what um i've never even thought about that before so like when you get the beans i guess i know you roast them but like what exactly does that mean what is that process yeah. like for you yeah so and how, where do you get them from yeah like do you all that wholesale them I, what's when what's all that ask me these questions i usually say just warning you, I probably won't give the short answer, but I'll try to be short, but you can stop. No, please be be lengthy. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. So a coffee bean is really like a seed. Um, it's like the seed of a cherry, basically. So there's the co coffee plants. They're sometimes called trees, plants, because they're kind of a, in between, but they have produced these fruits that are red, cherry-like. And in the middle is a hard seed. That is what we call our coffee bean. So they're, they're different colors depending on the variety, but usually kind of a green, yellowy green, sometimes brown seed. And that's what we call green coffee. It's that fresh coffee. And there's different methods for harvesting those, different methods for cleaning those. Sometimes you'll leave the, the cherry, the fruit on the seed, to give it a different flavor profile versus washing it off and letting it dry that way. And so then um, once that happens, um, it's sold to sometimes a warehouse, sometimes direct trade, all sorts of different things. So that's actually my goal for this year is to secure a few more direct trade sources because right now I'm mostly buying from green coffee warehouses. So one of them's in Oregon, so it's kind of far obviously, and there's less connection there, but they do a good job. So I do like going through them, but there's another one in Grand Island here that does a lot of like fair trade, really good practices, has very high quality beans from Kenya. And so I love getting stuff from them because they're, they're local, know them, you know, just makes the supply chain shorter, but we get coffee from all sorts of different places. Right now we have coffee from Mexico, Guatemala, Kenya, Honduras, a couple others. So usually I have like at least five different places at a time that I'm roasting. Yeah, I don't know. I could go on and on about that, but. No, that's so fascinating. Yeah. I guess I should say so then after that, so it comes in the seed, the green form, and that's when I roast it. And that's what you tip or are probably picturing when you think of coffee. So it goes into the roaster and goes through a series of basically chemical changes during that and it turns the coffee lighter, um, bigger. It 
darker, all of those things, lots of changes to make it edible. Cause you couldn't eat the coffee seed the way it is. It would probably break your teeth. It's like super hard and dense and water saturated versus like the airy light popcorn-y kind of texture that you get when it's roasted. Amazing. And how do you, when you roast, like, are you like turning a bar or oh, are yeah. you, okay. so, is it yeah, like that was something oven? I didn't know before I was roasting, before I roasted. Um, Cause you, when you see it, a lot of times you'll see when it's like kind of turning in a tray. Yeah. So that's not actually at roasting. That's at cooling down after it's been roasted. So the green coffee goes into, I wish I could use my hands to explain to everybody, but <laughs> it goes into a hopper um, at the very top of the roaster. And once the roaster's heated up, pulls a lever, goes down into the actual cylinder where the coffee's roasted. And it's in there around 15 minutes, depending on the roast. And then once that's finished, it you open it and you'll see it dump out into the cooling tray, which is usually what people think of because they see the videos of, yeah, the coffee turning on a flat yeah. even. But there's a lot of things I'm doing at that point. When it's roasting, a lot of it is charting the rate um, that the uh, coffee is rising in temperature versus like the external temperature of <laughs> of the um yeah the roaster I guess so yeah I, I I need my hands to explain but we're trying our best here totally it's a lot of just making sure it's not heating up too fast or that it reaches a certain point as far as like sound there's like a it, it's called first crack second crack type thing so it should be hitting it sounds like popcorn, basically. And so it should be reaching that sound at a certain point in the roast, at a certain time, at a certain temperature. And you can do different things with your um, your heat, either elevating that or decreasing that, depending to bring out certain notes, natural flavors in the coffee. It's not like, like flavored coffee would be something that someone adds to the coffee at a different time, but... I do more of the, I guess, natural coffee roasting. So I select beans that have a natural flavor to them and try to bring that out in how I roast the coffee. That's so cool. Yeah, you explain that so well. So do you have like recipes that you follow or is it like trial and error? I know you like learned from someone local. Yeah, I kind of have a starting starting point that I do for – like a medium-ish roast and then a darkish roast. I say ish because there's not really like a, it's not a cut and dry. We call it development. So once it hits the cracking point, it's how long, how much of the percentage of your roast is after that point where it starts cracking. And the longer that goes, the higher percentage than the darker the coffee is. So it's kind of a spectrum. But now I already forgot what you're asking Oh, I already forgot what I asked too. Oh, do you have like a recipe that you follow? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Follow? Thanks. <laughs> so I have a starting point for those medium-ish and darkish roasts, but then we do cuppings, which is basically like tastings and just see how it is and adjust from there. 
That's so cool. You do, you taste it like as you're roasting? No. Um, I give that three to five days usually. Nice. So okay. That I yeah. can actually accurately taste the coffee because otherwise you're kind of tasting like the the roastiness of it, I guess, like almost tasting mm. like the char of the roasting process more than you're actually tasting what the coffee tastes like. Okay. That makes sense. So you're like taking notes to mm-hmm. go back later. Gosh, yep. that's so fascinating. Oh my gosh. I love – thank you for explaining that because I feel like any coffee lover is going to be so stoked on learning all of these things and now they can go into their coffee shop and like know so much more about it. So yeah. – And we talked about, you know, the the baristas that are kind of like uppity about their coffee, but a lot of baristas really do like helping and like explaining and so I'd say, yeah, if – they like talking about their job and showing that it's not all, you know, easy. So you can ask them questions and they probably will like nerding out about it as much as I do. Totally. I love that. I think it's cool how coffee has become almost like not an alternative necessarily, but similar to like wine tasting. Mm -hmm. I just don't love wine. I just, I think vineyards can be pretty, but I just don't love it. But coffee tasting and learning about all this is so interesting to me. Yeah, it it is fun. It is a lot like that culture, I would say. That's how I explain it to a lot of people is it's kind of like, you know, wine tasting. So you're right on with that. Totally. As you know, this is a show for creative Christian women, and I truly believe every single one of you listening right now fit into this category. So I want to take a second to share with you about one of my favorite creative companies, Alabaster Co., Alabaster is changing the way that people experience the Bible. Their vision is for people to see God as beautiful, and they do this by combining beauty and faith in their thoughtfully designed books and Bible sets. Alabaster kindly gifted our family the book of Genesis and Acts, and not only do they look absolutely beautiful in our new home, but I love that keeping them out as decoration actually prompts us to pick them up and get into God's word more. So if you want to get your own Alabaster books and Bibles, head on over to alabasterco.com and use the code pageguidal10 to get 10% off at checkout. That's pageguidal10 to get 10% off your order. So switching gears completely, (laughs) I would love to hear about your and David's journey into foster care because you guys adopted Hazley. Was that in... October when it finally October, went through? October, yep, is when it oh became my gosh. official, legally. Yay. I love how we can like say her name and that she's yours. It's just I know. so exciting. But it's so, also just weird because it, it's like, it feels like it's been forever, but it's only been a few months. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. It has been like, yeah, we've been like referring to her as the girl's cousin for so long, <laughs> so much longer than that. So yeah, when did you guys first start the process of becoming certified and how did you even make that decision? Yeah, I was thinking about this before and I don't want to say it was random because it, it wasn't, but it wasn't like this whole thing where it was really heavy on our hearts for like a long period of time with a lot of discussion and a lot of like back and forth it just kind of like fell into place, I guess. Um, 
fairly easily in a lot of ways. So when I was a teacher, I taught at a Title I school and did have some students that were in foster care and even students that weren't in foster care, but just in some rough situations, a lot of refugees who had seen a lot of dark things had come from really dark um, situations. And I guess I, as a teacher, felt helpless a lot of times to help them. And I, I loved my one-on-one interactions with them. But sometimes teaching a lesson about art when I know they saw their their mother get, you know, killed. This is jumping really deep, really heavy, really fast, but saw their mother murdered because of a political situation in the country that they were in. I'm like, what I'm teaching really does not matter to them. And it's like really hard to like keep going and make them care because why would they care about this? Yeah, so just feeling helpless all the time. And I, I think I started thinking about what it would be like to, I guess, more mo- like not mother those students, if that makes sense. Like me as a teacher just felt like not natural for me. Like I kind of just wanted to do more for them um, or yeah. just care for, not more for them, but do it in a different way, especially those like foster students, like just a different relationship because I sometimes just felt out of my element um, with Mm -hmm. the teaching in my care for them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It would have been like overstepping your bounds to be like feeding them or more like nurturing them in a different way, but you were feeling like you wanted to do that. Yeah. And it wasn't even like, I want to be their mom, but it was just like, I want to, that sounds so funny. Just like, I want to yeah, care for their basic needs a little different. Like I don't want to make, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, it's no, just, that makes felt, sense. just a different thing. And so I, I don't even know if I, at the time I was like thinking about that, but looking back, I kind of realized that is how I felt sometimes. Um, and I guess before that adoption had always been kind of somewhat on my heart, I guess. Like anytime I heard about that, I just thought, you know, that was cool. And I wanted to be open to that. And I thought maybe that I would adopt someday, mm-hmm. but not foster care specifically until, um, teaching. And then also at that very same time, we were going to, um, a church who, and there was a, a couple that was just a few years older than us. And they had adopted four boys from foster care. And we were just kind of amazed by them, like not because of that situation, but just their life in general. And, um, they were really gracious to like invite us over and just pour into us in other ways, even when they had four kids they were raising. And we were just like, wow, like we had talked about what if we did foster care or adoption someday down the road, you know, after we raise our own kids. And then, yeah, after we've kind of had experience quote unquote as parents, then maybe we could consider it. And then we're seeing this couple who had never had kids and they just, adopt four boys from foster care and they were just kind of fearless about entering the whole foster care situation and part of us is like okay wait what's our excuse or what's our reason for wanting to wait exactly and that just made us think more and more about it and we kind of got to the point where we we, well that year we bought a house the first year we were married and we're like we have this we have this house with these rooms and we don't have our own kids like we have the time we could just like you know just open up our home to 
um, to them even short term or I don't know. We just kept talking about it more and more. But then we were kind of unsure about, you know, well, what if we had lots of questions, probably any question that anybody has, I could, I could go into that. We had all those insecurities and doubts, but we had a couple people kind of encourage us to look into respite care which is basically short-term foster care. So you go through all the same certifications and everything, but you just tell your organization, like, I want to be respite care. So if there's like a kid who maybe needs a break or a family that needs a break um, in their foster care situation, maybe that kid would come to your house for a weekend. Or maybe the bio parent is recovering and doing well, but they just need Um, a week to do some job interviews or something like that. So then that kid comes to your house for a week. And we we felt a lot more comfortable with that idea because we're like, okay, well, we're a young, inexperienced couple, but we can handle a week or a weekend and just see what happens. Um, Yeah. How old were you guys when you got um, certified the, the right word? Yeah. Okay. Let me think about that. I want to say I was 24 or 23. Yeah. It was like a, 24, was it a year? 23. Okay. Had you even been married for a year or when did you guys start that? Yeah. I want to say we, we, well, we hadn't talked about it even when we were dating, I think, or engaged. That's a good question. I need to look at that. I want to say maybe we had almost been married a year. Okay. When we had our certification. That's amazing. That seems right. Or yeah, I, I think I, I think you're right. That. Yeah. So you're unsure, but you decide to do respite care, and you had Hazley. I mean, I remember. Was it like a s- snowy weekend? Maybe I, I say I remember, and then I'm like making up <laughs> details. But I remember snowy, mom like bringing dark. over a car seat, no. right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now that I'm like thinking about this, we had been married for a year and a half. I think that would make sense with Hazley's age. Um, Yeah. We got our certification that week. It was like the first week of January um, of 2020. Yeah. (laughs) First week of January of 2020. And that day, yeah. The, okay. Thank you. All the details are coming back. This is why it's good to have to share these things. Um, we were getting a new car cause we were thinking about, we knew we were probably going to get kids at some point and my car just was not good for car seats and everything. And so my father-in-law, so David's dad dropped off a car like that day. And then we get a call. It was like three days after our certification that, you know, this little girl needed a place to stay. We're like, oh, well, that's, you know, God timing. Amazing that we have a car now that we can actually put a car seat in. And we just, yeah, I'm kind of thankful. I actually didn't answer my phone. And so I have the audio message saved, which is super special. No way. Calling and just saying, hey, there's a little cute, cuddly, four-month-old baby girl. She just needs a place to stay for a couple days while bio grandma, you know, gets over the flu. So we're like, okay, perfect. And it was kind of surprising because everything, everyone was telling us like, you'll never watch a baby. Like it'll pretty much always be 
which doesn't matter. We're just like, yeah, we'll take whatever. We were pretty open since it was just short-term stuff. And that was kind of our goal initially was, well, whoever can come for respite care. And then that'll kind of show us what we can and can't handle as far as needs and ages and everything. So yeah, anyways, it was surprising. Baby comes and I remember getting the call and and being like, okay, I know nothing about four month old babies. So I called like four different people, the four people I knew that had babies. And I said, tell me everything you know about babies, <laughs> four months old specifically. And uh, had like a friend come drop off a bunch of clothes and we didn't need a lot because, you know, it was just going to be a few days. But yeah, all of our needs were basically met immediately from the car to clothes and burp rags and a few things like that. Wow. I'm like holding sleeping Juliet in my arms right now who's like not quite five months. And that is like so mind-blowing to me that she was that little when you guys first yeah. were introduced to her. And – yeah, even littler because she was born early. And yeah. I guess I would have guessed, you know, that she was maybe two months old or one, you know, like at the time. Mm -hmm. like that's kind of more what it seemed like. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Okay, so you have her for a short bit and then she goes back with Biograma, who she's living with. And then just kind of what's the timeline like of – your relationship with her and how often you were having her and stuff. Yeah. So we started out, um, having her maybe for a weekend, three ish days or whatever, um, for a couple months in a row because, uh, once grandma felt better, you know, we got to meet her and she was yeah great. Loved Hazley so much and just developed a relationship with her. She was super, yeah, you know, I mean, supportive of us, we were supportive of her and just kind of wanted to do whatever we could um, to, yeah, just help her because that was kind of our goal too with foster care was not just, you know, to uh, foster these babies, but just support families and if at all possible, like reunification with the biological family is always the, the first step. Like that's what you want to happen if at all possible. So we just were like, Let's support this grandma. She's doing a lot of work. And uh, so she'd kind of give us updates, send us pictures of Hazley and all of that. And then when the COVID pandemic hit, then there was a few months where we didn't see her because they weren't doing a lot of respite care. They didn't want, yeah, the kids spreading it to houses, I guess. Wow. So we went several months without seeing her. And then that summer, after that summer, we started seeing her again. Um, pretty regularly, probably once a month again until her first birthday. And we had, you know, developed that relationship to the, with the grandma to the point where, uh, we kind of felt, yeah, we were getting invited to birthday party and all these things. And we felt comfortable enough to make a comment to her that if, depending on how this situation all played out with Hazley and reunification, if you ever just want to be a grandma, like we love Hazley and, you know, we love being her parents and that, that kind of felt scary at first, but, and maybe that question even might sound, I guess, offensive right off the bat, but I guess we had a good enough relationship 
with her and that trust um, that she understood where we were coming from. And we kind of knew that she would be receptive of us asking that and um, knew how much that grandma loved Hazley and took care of Hazley. So it definitely came out of a place of, I guess, love and wanting Hazley to have, you know, as many supporting adult figures in her life as possible. So. Yeah. Yeah. That had to feel like risky because you don't want to rupture your relationship with (laughs) Hazley or her grandma. You don't want to offend her, but you also had to feel like if I don't say anything, obviously you don't want to like miss that opportunity, I guess. I don't know. Right. And it was, there was also had been a few health, I guess, complications. And so that kind of opened the door a little bit. We were just like, how can we support you? Yeah. Okay. So that's like her first birthday when you have that kind of like start that conversation yep, around with that her. Time. Okay. And what happened next? Did she respond in that moment or did she take some time and then come back to you or how did the topic of adoption like continue to advance? Yeah, she kind of, um, I think she could tell it was coming like that conversation. Cause she's like, yeah, I know you guys love Hazel. Like, she kind of thinks like, I know you guys just really love her. And it, she said it, um, it's cool to all spend time together. Cause you, she's like, you can just see how safe Hazley feels with you and bonded she does. Um, and she's like, the main thing is I just want to have a relationship with Hazley. Like, so, and like with you guys, I know that I could. And so that was um, wow. special and affirming and everything. And she said, so she's really wise about this. She's like, how about this? We'll just kind of do back and forth on weekends. Like she can spend every other weekend at your house. I don't know if it'll go that direction, but like we at least want to make your guys's bond strong in case that it does ever come to that. And so that's what we started to do. And she came for that, that first time, um, for a weekend. And I remember telling David, I just feel like she's just going to be here forever now. (laughs) And, uh, it it did kind of end up turning that way. So then her biological grandma came to pick her up that weekend. And basically we just had this conversation of like, okay, I think actually she should just be here with you and then sometimes visit me. And we're like, oh, okay. (laughs) So we made that transition real quick into full-time parenting without any, I guess, uh, much of a warning. It it felt right though. We were all kind of on the same page and there was, she did have reason, some reasons that I, I won't share on here about why, but, um, it was very hard for her to do. I know. Cause she was very, and is to this day, very attached to Hazley. It was definitely a hard decision, but, um, a sec kind of a sacrifice she wanted to make for a number of reasons. Hmm. Yeah. And I know that you guys have like maintained a relationship with her and just like really honored that, which I think is so incredible. Would you call it, would you call it open adoption because of that or I mean I'm sure everyone kind of defines it differently right there's not really any like legal thing that says it's open or or not it's just kind of 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 our own whatever we yeah I mean she yeah she raised Hazley for the full first year and Hazley's relationship is very bonded to her and very like 
yeah, very attached. So hmm. we definitely want to keep that, you know, strong. And that's the reason that Hazley was able to attach to us, just looking at things like from a psychological standpoint. If she wouldn't have been able to have such a strong attachment with her biological grandma, she could have had so many problems attaching to us and it's just yeah we've had a lot of people you know come observe her and everything for attachment and they're all just amazed at how well she's doing considering everything that she's gone through and just she is I mean you know her so friendly yeah. and warm and oh, she is yes. the cutest I love her so much I love watching her and Flora like become friends it's such a gift is so it was so fun they they bring so much laughter <laughs> yeah <laughs> the girls <laughs> I think it's so fun I just have to say that the family that our husbands were raised in they there were like three boys and it's so fun how now the girls have like overrun yes. I guess poor Calvin our nephew there are four girls and and Calvin, but I just love watching all of them hang out together. Yes, and it's just gonna get more more and more fun as they get older and interact with each other more. It's I'm already seeing that with like just this week I was telling someone it's fun like Hazley and Ruby are finally like playing a little bit together, mm. and it is just yeah, so fun. Yeah the best so that was like around her turning one ish mm -hmm. and then you didn't end up getting to adopt her though until like she was she had turned two and like a month after she turned two yeah. so I don't know you don't have to like go super in depth but just what was the process like legally obviously it's hard when it's like you and you guys at bio grandma like agreed but there are so many other hoops to jump through you can't just like sign your own thing you know right I know this part's always interesting like because everyone's story is so different with this it's like we we kind of feel like our story in a lot of ways was like very clean compared I mean there was there was definitely a lot of as you know being there for the process a lot of hard things a lot of heartbreak but also all the horror stories you hear like and people telling us all these horror stories of the system we really didn't have to deal with a lot of that um thankfully but yeah and then this isn't what you're asking but it's just a fun piece of the story so the weekend that we got Hazley is when we found out we were pregnant with ruby and so that was kind of like what are we doing here we've never been parents and now we have two all of a sudden <laughs> um yeah. but with Hazley's journey specifically, there was a lot of it that was just hard um, for, I guess, emotionally, like, well, who are we to her? Like, we're still her foster parents. Most likely, we could end up being her adoptive parents. But, like, we, you know, you, you hear all these stories of it not actually working out like you think it's going to. And so a lot of, like, fear of well, what if we get so attached and then we're heartbroken, you know, kind of a thing. Do we let her call us mom and dad? Do we cheat? Or she's learning how to talk like, well, who do we call ourselves David and Ashley? And then like, if we do adopt her, you know, I don't know, just little things like that, that were kind of emotionally draining at times, just 
figuring out how to handle all of that. Yeah. She was still doing visits with Biomom at the time. And that was its own, you know, set of emotions. And just since she didn't uh, talk yet, you know, but still trying, still kind of watching her mood and seeing how things affected her and, um, yeah, just kind of watching ourselves, making sure we are being honoring to her biological family and attaching properly. And yeah. So yeah, a lot of up and downs with that, but then we, everything was becoming more and more clear. Like it's gonna end in, um, adoption that whole you know year process a lot of things was just like they have to do another home study or they have to do um you have to meet with a lawyer and they're gonna like write up some papers about the adoption like it was a lot of just waiting it didn't really feel like we were doing a lot because then visitations ended pretty shortly after that and it was really like a year of not a lot of involvement. Hazley didn't have a lot of high needs. And so we didn't have a lot of people coming to our house to like, I don't know, intervene with stuff like some foster situations are. And so a lot of it, it's just like felt completely normal. Like she, we had adopted her a long time ago, but we hadn't, you know. Um, yeah. It was almost surprising when her adoption rolled around along and you're like, oh wait, yeah, we haven't made this legal so yeah she was turned to the month before when we did officially adopt her I don't think that answers your question specifically so if you have anything specific about that that's fine no that was great that was so helpful that you just kind of walked us through that process and what that journey was like for you guys I don't remember where we were driving home from but I remember driving home and like super quickly being like Hazel's getting adopted and like pulling up the Zoom link and just like sobbing, especially when David was talking. That was just so, so special. I'm bummed we couldn't be there in person, but that was still so special to like be a part of it in that way. Yes, it was such a emotional day. And yeah, I I love thinking about that. Uh, Thinking about what David, yeah, said and we were able to give her a little pearl necklace and just, I don't know, those like special things of, yeah, like the, like the gospel, just seeing, yeah, how God, I don't know, just led the whole situation and it didn't feel like a lot of striving, even in the hard moments. It just felt like it was going to happen from the beginning. Like Hmm. we all saw saw where this was leading and there wasn't a lot we had to do to like force it to happen. And it was pretty cool, like, seeing some of the foster care workers and, um, like, the court people, like, even make comments about that, like, that they could, you know, see God or they could feel God in the courtroom, they were saying. And that was, yeah, just cool to know that even though we didn't always, I guess, feel it or we weren't even, I don't know, trying to be super spiritual about it I guess if that maybe that sounds weird but just like the natural God is just working in us even when we're not like forcing it or trying to and just the spirit yeah. leading and doing his thing hmm. that's so good I love that and I obviously know and love you guys in real life and 
can 100% attest to that, just being like part of who you are and the way that you live your lives, part of your home. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to not be like, oh, stop. <laughs> Ash, we are going to wrap up. This has been so good. I'm so thankful that you shared all about coffee and all about your experience in foster care and with Hazley, who I love. I love her so much. Uh, Um, That would be more fun. You should have just had her. She talks a million miles an hour. You should have just had her on here. Oh my gosh. She would have a lot to say. That is so fun. Ash, what are three things that you have been loving lately? They can be like, I don't know, snacks or shows or literally just anything. Okay, since since we're talking about coffee, we have to start there. There's this new um, Mex- bean that I'm roasting from Mexico, single origin, and it's so good. It's so fun. I love it. It's like a savory kind of coffee. It's like the perfect breakfast coffee. Oh, my gosh. I had it with a potato bowl. And I was like, this is, this is going to be in heaven. Pretty sure. Yeah. Amazing. That's the first thing. Um, second thing, I feel like I prepared for this, even though I didn't, I was thinking to myself this morning, I'm not kidding. If I was an influencer like Paige, I'd be promoting this, this, um, betting that I have. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I literally, I love my betting right now. It's like, it's a linen. And it's just like yes. really scrunchy and floppy and like it just like looks good casually. Like even if you don't make your yes. bed, it just like kind of looks all flowy and fun. Uh-huh. Where is it from? Um, the sheets are from – I can't remember. Um, I got it a couple years ago and they're still – they just get better and better though. Yes. Yes. Know, That's why I, I feel like linen is like worth the investment because they only get like softer. Yes. I – I can let you know later. Was it like online? Uh, oh, tough to needle. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Um, and then let's see. A third thing. I am. Should I do another coffee one, or is that too too far? No, no, no. Do it. Okay, I'll give everybody um, help them up their coffee game right now with a little app called slow bar Ooh, slow bar everyone what is it so it has like all the different brewing methods mostly well i'm not gonna say all of them basically all the different types of like pour over so like chemex wave aeropress um a few others french press that kind of thing and then it tells you like has a stopwatch with it. It tells you how many grams, how much water, and maybe you don't want to go that far. But, you know, it all times it out, and it just, like, shows you what step you should be doing at what oh, point in time. Oh, my gosh. So you don't have to, like, keep pausing and rewinding a YouTube video? Exactly. Yes. It'll be, like, so, like, this one, I clicked on French press. It'll tell you, like, your prep, everything to get ready for your prep, and then you hit start once you're ready. And then at, it'll highlight which step you're on and what time you should be doing it. That's <laughs> There's going to be certain people that are listening to this that are like going to be so excited about that. And then other people that are going to be like, wow, no, I would never make my life so complicated. 
Oh my gosh. But I feel like then if you're doing this, you can relax because you can rest in knowing you're making good coffee. Right. And you're not having to, yeah, rewind and listen to Josh explain how to do it for the fourth time. You know, that's not restful, but I feel like making coffee should be like a restful thing, you know? And if you're like trying a new method, that's brilliant. Oh my gosh. I should have said what I'm loving is seeing Juliet with her pacifier like hanging out of her mouth because she's so out. Oh my gosh. She is out. I know. I am devastated that I have to unswaddle her, put her in the car seat and drive her home. Oh, I'm not at my house right now. I'm so sad. <laughs> I know. The Dang it. Middle days of our parents just like, you know, sleeping on the dashboard on the way to family vacation, you know? It's Isn't like that wild? Crazy. Couldn't I know. Live, but they would have, you know? Right. <laughs> How can we as a community be praying for you? Let's see. We're kind of... Uh, in a slow season right now where we are coming off a time as I guess as a family coming off um, a time of a lot of changes a lot of excitement a lot of like David changing his job you know Hazley's adoption Ruby's birth like all these like big things that we've been anticipating for a long time and now it's like still which is great but my personality and David's personality is very like, what's next? What are we going to do? What are we going to achieve? Like, let's, I don't know, like make all these plans, but just don't want to rush ahead of the Lord and want to like, yeah, just grow in this season and be led by him. So that's what my mind goes to first. Hmm. Ash, that's so interesting. First of all, yes. We will be praying for you in that. You and I and our other sister-in-law, Adrienne, are reading the Risen Motherhood book, which mm-hmm. is so good. And it's so funny because last week we were talking about how we just long to feel settled. <laughs> but also it's so funny because you and I, we want to feel settled, but also we don't. We want to like start 10 more businesses. <laughs> I know. It's so bad. <laughs> Isn't that just funny? I'm glad John and David have each other. Yes. And we have each other. <laughs> you know when they're putting in the headphones and like going on a long walk? Uh-huh. Oh, so they got to recover from us. Yeah, they're calling each they're other. They're calling each other. <laughs> yeah. Actually, John told me today that he like said something nice about me to David. Not that that makes it sound really bad. Like <laughs> I'm shocked. But he like said he like went out of his way to like compliment me to David. And that is like the highest praise because I know that David is like the one person who he's just like fully honest with about stuff. And I'm like, I know that, I don't know. I know that I'm making it when he tells David that I did something that was like complimentary. Yes, they're they're good Uh, for each other. I'm glad they have each other. Yeah. So Ash, where can people find you? Is your Instagram private right now? I don't remember. Um, it is mostly for um, Hazley's uh, privacy, but I, yeah, there's not obviously a lot of people that I don't allow to follow me. Cool. So do you want people to follow you? 
I'm not. Or I'm not, email. Be, okay, we'll just say I'm not that interesting to follow. <laughs> you can, I think your bio is um, so cute. I love it. Um, I go in spurts of like posting things about art and coffee and kids and foster care. And then I don't post for a couple months, but I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the, I guess, um, creating of some content every now and then, but, um, hey, yeah, so make I'm Instagram actually, casual again, make Instagram casual again. That's right. Um, it's, so it's, what even is it anymore? I, I think it's actually for the longest time. And now I can't even remember because I, Obviously, I'm not Canfield anymore. It's just Ash under um, line Guidel. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> okay, you know what's more fun is probably Neutral Grounds. That's what you should follow, even though that's not me. You'll see my roasting. I'm delirious. The fact that you said underline. <laughs> okay, it's 942. <laughs> no, we've been at this for almost two hours and honestly right now i can't tell you what it's supposed to be because now underline is just in my head underscore i oh, think thank goodness thank you <laughs> like, sorry i'm sounding really judgy right now. this is like flashback to all-nighters in college where yeah. i remember writing the paper and like i just couldn't remember how to spell of it was like I typed O V and I just stared at it for like five minutes. I was like, I know this isn't right, but I can't tell you what it is. Just like what's so, so tired. funny is it's like not even ten o'clock, but we're it's just not, two tired moms. Exactly. There's some brain cells that are <laughs> that I gave to. What's me. what's neutral grounds? It is. Oh man, don't make me say things. Just is it kidding. neutral dot grounds? <laughs> It's neutralgrounds.ne. Oh, nice. Love it. Ash, thanks for being on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. This was fun. This was so fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Love in a Cottage. I am so grateful you decided to join us today, and I hope you're going forward in your day feeling encouraged, understood, and inspired. If you like today's show, I would love to encourage you to share it with a girlfriend. You can also screenshot this episode and share it on your Instagram stories, which will help more like-minded women find our show. Speaking of Instagram, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and follow us? Because, guys, I promise we're super fun. (laughs) We share content there throughout the week about the show, and it's a great way to connect with fellow listeners and keep up with the guests that you might have heard. We also do fun quarterly giveaways and just share inspiring content. If you're looking for more connection, you can also join our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes of every episode. There are weekly episode discussions, and it's a great way to find friends and listeners who might be in your area. And finally, if you'd like to support us, you can please write a review on iTunes because this will help boost our show so other like-minded women can find it. Your support means so much to me, you guys. Thank you again for being here. So grateful for you. We'll see you next week for another episode.